All right, first thing I wanted to mention is how many of you use the Bible app? Would you raise your hand? You, meaning the YouVersion uh, Bible app. So um, we, Len Krakowski puts the teaching notes from Sundays on there along with a couple of announcements and et cetera. So if you don't know what's happening, that's a place you can go. So if you want to look at the notes later, if you want to share them with a friend, if you want to you know, uh, follow along while I'm teaching, whatever, here is how you get to it. So you go to the Bible app, and at the bottom on the main page, it says events. And then in there, you can find your way to Caneo Church if you look locally. Several churches in our area are on the Bible app, but that's how you can get to it. And then you'll have the notes from this week on there. And then they disappear because next week's notes, yeah, so they're on there for six days and then they're gone. Here's the other thing. We're going to start a, 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 a devotional on there that starts tomorrow by uh, Dr. Tony Evans, and it's a great study about being kingdom disciples. So I invited a bunch of you to be part of that. If you didn't get an invite, come give me a hard time later, okay? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Okay. Uh, last week, we got into Philippians 3, and we talked about running the race, forgetting what's behind, pressing on towards what is ahead. And this was, a, this was the key verse. It says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. That's really an interesting way that Paul talks about it. Um, but think about this. He took hold of your life for a reason. So he took hold of you. It's not about, I'm so cool because I decided to follow him. Like, you're not cutting God any slack, okay? So he took hold of you for a reason. The question is, have you figured out why yet? Have you said, Lord, what am I here for? What do you want to do with the rest of the days I have left? And, and how can I glorify you with the altar of my, of my life to that end, right? So today we're going to talk about that a little bit and figure out what, what are we here for? So today we're going to begin a series over the next, it'll take us at least through, through uh, Easter, but on the 12 disciples of Christ, some of the women that followed him as well, and this guy, St. Paul, who uh, seems to be our 13th uh, apostle. And so we're going we're gonna to get into the, the stories of each of them and figure out who were they? Why did God call these particular people? How did he train them? How, how did Jesus send them out? And how did he do such extraordinary things through such ordinary people? Because... Man, if he used them, there's hope for you. <laughs> right? So one, one of the things we're going to realize as we study is how not special they were and how surprising some of Jesus' choices were. So, um, so it's going to be a blast as we study that. And just be thinking, is there somebody that you could invite that needs to be here to be part of this? And especially someone who may feel like, you know, I don't have that much to contribute. I don't really know who I am in the Lord. I, you know, why did he call me? Because we're going to answer some of those questions. Why did he call you? So, uh, but I want to I show a little video as we get started about the calling of some of the disciples from the Chosen series. And uh, this is just a couple excerpts. I think you'll enjoy it. So let's check that out.
So if you haven't checked out The Chosen, it's pretty meaningful. They actually did a, did a really nice job. So, and, and the calling of several other disciples are, are in there as well. well. We'll share a little bit of that later on as we get going. So 2,000 years ago, when a rabbi called a disciple, it's good for us to understand what, that, what that, uh, the cultural context of that was. So, so you would follow a rabbi, not a text, not a teaching, not a movement. You would follow a person. It's a little different how, how we grow up now. Um, and 2,000 years ago, men led the worship in the temple. The women led the worship at home. Boys would grow up learning the Torah, so they would learn the Pentateuch. Math, uh, they, would, they would learn the first five uh, books of the Old Testament. And then the, the girls would, would learn and memorize Psalms and Proverbs. And so it was a different approach with, with boys and girls at that point. Then there were, there were a few different uh, stages in the training of the boys especially. So uh, Beth Sefer was ages 5 to 12, and that was reading and memorizing. Uh, of those five books especially. And then Beth, Beth Midrash was, uh, was the next age, like 12 to 15, the, the younger teenagers. And that's when they would learn the meaning of those things. So not just what does the text say and can I repeat it back to you, but now what does it mean? What's the, what does it mean to, to uh, their nation? And then uh, Bet Talmud was after that, and that was for the, the better students, those who had some promise in the religious life. So once they passed 15, uh, and during that time, uh, some of them would be in training in the synagogue or with the rabbi, and, and most would be training also with their fathers or the grandfathers to learn the family trade. So they would do both. But then some of them showed more promise, and those are the ones that the rabbis would choose and say, you're not going to be a fisherman, you're not going to be a tailor, you're going to come with me and, and do this full time. And so a Talmud studied the Talmud, and, and, and so that person would, uh, would follow a rabbi, not just like nine to five for school, it was always. So they went to live with the rabbi, they went to the bathroom when the rabbi went to the bathroom, they ate when the rabbi ate, they learned not just the teachings, but the life, which uh, some, some writings show was called a yoke. And so you remember Jesus talking about my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so sometimes we just think that's about oxen, but it was also about a teaching and a way of life. And so, so these guys would be chosen by their rabbi, and then they were sold out on becoming like him. So that's the first question for us today is, am I sold out on becoming like Jesus? Are there some things I like about him, some things I don't? Some things I agree with, some things I don't. I mean, how much of your day, how much of your week, how much of your year do you think about, I want to be more like him, right? Versus I want to be more like this public figure, this business leader, this author, this. It's interesting, right? Do we want to be like the master or not? Because that's what a disciple does. So the 12 disciples followed Jesus daily, and they learned how to live. This is also interesting. They learned how to die. So this is, this is real life. Like rubber hits the road. Jesus taught them all kinds of things. Not just here's how you believe about something, but here's how you treat people. Here's how you pray. 
Here's how you lead others. Here's how you give your life away for something that matters. And here's how you die with dignity, pointing people in the right direction. Like, right? So what does it mean to be called by the Savior? We're going to check out one of the uh, one of the passages where Jesus appointed the 12, and there are four of them. Um, and so let's look in, at the one in Luke. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 6, 12. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you should get one. They're quite, quite good. <laughs> but we do have some Bibles here. If you would like to take one with you, just let us know. Uh, let Shannon know. She'll set you up at the table in the lobby. So verse 12 of Luke 6, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. This is important because he was about to appoint the 12. You notice a few times in Jesus' ministry, he takes time away. He gets quiet. He spends time with the Lord. He fasts, he prays to get ready for a big ministry thing. So verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. So he had more than 12 disciples. So there's a whole bunch of people around him that are following him and then he appoints 12 of them out of that group. And he designated them apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. And we know about Judas's story, right? So there are two words in there. One is disciples. So that's the word mathetes, and it means a learner, a student, a pupil. But then we also have this interesting word apostle. And an apostle was a Greek word that, that meant an ambassador, or a sent one, or an envoy. So a king would say, you're going to be my apostle to the island of Crete, and you're going to represent what I'm going to do uh, over there. And so it's interesting that that he grabbed 12, and he said, out of the disciples, out of all the students, you are going to be the ones that are going to be especially sent, that are going to be with me all the time. And so the list of names is also in Matthew 10, it's in Mark 3, it's in Acts 1, if you want to take a look at those later. Uh, It's interesting, too, the Matthew and Mark passages, they say what he called them to do. And obviously, there are things he sent them out to do, but it it particularly says these two. You're going to cast out demons, and you're going to preach the kingdom. I think it's kind of an interesting, like, they did a lot. They healed the sick. they, uh, They organized people when Jesus was teaching. They did some stuff. But I think it's interesting that those two are singled out. And it's like you're going to clear the way by casting out evil. And then you're going to bring the kingdom by talking to them about good. I was really, it's interesting how clear that is in their their calling. So they were called, they were trained, they were sent. Uh, Today we're going to focus on calling. uh, And then as we get into their lives and the passages that talk about them growing up, Uh, In Jesus, we'll talk a little bit more about how they're sent and how he trained them and how how we can learn from their stories. But calling is the word klesin, and it means, um, really, it just means called. But but here's the idea. It's God is calling. He's the one initiating. So the master calls, and then we have the opportunity to respond or not. 
It's not that we initiate anything with the Lord. <laughs> he, he starts. And, and then we reply and respond to his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his invitation. Um, and so let's look at a few verses that talk about calling all over the New Testament. There are more than this, but these are some that I think are really important ones. Hebrews 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Interesting, the word apostle is there, and also he called these guys to be apostles, which means sent one. So if you've ever heard this term, the missio dei, uh, sometimes we call that the, the mission of God. But literally in the Latin, it means the sending of God. And so God sent his son who sent others with the same message. So, so it's almost like God doesn't ask us to do anything he's not willing to do. He doesn't ask us to forgive if he's not willing to forgive. He doesn't ask us to go, and he's not willing to go. It's interesting, right? He doesn't ask us to die, and he's not willing to die. That's, that's some intense stuff right there, right there. Romans 1, let's look at that one, verses 6 and 7. And you are also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So called is, is being saved. Called is becoming uh, a, a believer in Jesus and a follower of his. Romans 8.28, and we love this verse. In fact, we quote this verse out of context all kinds of times, okay? But it says, in all things, uh, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So sometimes people will just say, well, God is working this for good. Well, God works all things for good, but they don't finish the rest of the verse. It's for those who are called. It's not for everybody. And that's not because God is mean. That's just how the, that's how the planet works. And so, so he is working things for good in your life as you follow him and put him first and as you allow him to work in your life. And if you say, huh, I don't want you working in my life, then he's not working all things for good in your life because you said, huh, I don't want that. Right on. Okay, interesting. So next one, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I love this, this verse and this pattern because it's not God has called you to do a thing. He's called you to serve him. He's called you to give up everything to, you know, it's duty. He's called you into fellowship, friendship, partnership, working, working together, going together, living together. So it's that picture of the disciple on the road with Christ is still our picture. It's not just 2,000 years ago, those guys were lucky they got to talk to Jesus. You get to talk to him too. Does that make sense? Ephesians 4.1 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So this is heavy because in our culture, and there are a lot of leaders and a lot of Christians that just blow it and don't live a life worthy of the calling. And so 2,000 years ago, evidently, this was a problem as well. And so Paul said, hey, if God's called you, remember that. Live like that. Stay, stay tuned in with him. Live the life that he's called you to live because he's called you to be with him, to 
to represent him, to be sent for him. And so don't just live your life for yourself because that's not worthy of this beautiful, powerful calling that he has put in your life. Right on. So, um, and the world doesn't need any more hypocrites. Um, and that's not a guilt trip like, you know, whoa, you're bad, you're bad. No, but the whole, the whole thing is God wants to use your story, but he doesn't want you to have to repeat your story 25 times and just keep, keep hitting the toilet in your life every year, right? Uh, we talked about that last year, last week. Let's live up to what we've already attained. Let's try to save our progress and say, Lord, what do you want to do this year? Let's not repeat last year. Let's not try to repeat the same mistakes. How do you want to use my life? And, and so, I, so I can be on the side of not hypocritical this year and, and represent you well. And, and if that's your desire, the Holy Spirit will meet you there and he'll give you the power to not have to keep walking through the swamp. That's, that's just true. So there's a heavenly part of our calling. A couple of the verses said, hey, here's your heavenly calling. Um, and because our citizenship is where? Heaven. Right? But there's an earthly part of our calling too because... He didn't just grab you by the scruff of the neck and go, okay, I call you, now come be with me now up here. He left us here for a reason. So there's an earthly part of our calling where we bring heaven here. But I feel like some people want to focus on the first part and not on the second part. Like, God, would you please rescue my sorry behind and take me to heaven? And he says, yes. And then we often don't do the second part, which is, and while I'm here, use my life for your glory. Right? right? So it's not, it's not two callings. It's not like he calls you and then later on he sends you. It's not like he, he saves you and then later on you figure out, hey, wait, I'm supposed to do something? It's all part of that call because he called the disciples and he said, I want you to come with me and together we're going to go rescue the world. He didn't say, I want you to come to me. Now you're okay. I'll see you later. That's not how it works. But that's kind of what's been sold to us in, in some of our culture that, you know, as long as you pray the prayer, everything's good. And then Jesus would say, that's not how I did it. That's not how I still do it. I want you to come with me. I want you to be with me. I want you to become like me. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, can you be a Christian without being a disciple? No one's answering. Well, are you scared? Are you scared of getting it wrong? So, so in our culture, I think the word Christian sometimes has a small c, and it, and it just means like, well, I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Hindu, um, I'm not, you know, something else, so I'm Christian. I hate when it doesn't have an, an article in front of it. I'm Christian. And I'm like, I, I bet you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I like it when people says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ one, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, now I'm okay with that. But when someone says I'm Christian, that just means in comparison with the other stuff. Now that, that I don't think is a, a reason for me to get, get my finger in somebody's face and you don't know what you're talking about. But it is a reason for me to go like, let's talk more about that. Yeah. What do you mean? Right on. You know? Do you, do you know what that means? Did you grow up, you know, well, my grandmother's Lutheran, so I'm Christian. So that's just craziness. But I think it's an opportunity to have a conversation about what does it mean to follow the Lord? And I think that now, um, more than ever, culture's weird, our lives are weird, our finances are weird, 
our medical future is weird. It's a crazy time. And, and I think right now things are topsy-turvy in people's lives, and it's a great opportunity to have a lot more real conversations about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to find hope? What does it mean to have an, an aim for your life that's beyond this life? I mean, meaning and purpose. I think people are ready to have those kind of conversations like never before. And that wouldn't have happened if things didn't get difficult and kind of awful in some ways. And so we might be like, God, why? Why is this happening in our culture? This is not fair. And the Lord's like, I know it's difficult, but I'm calling people. And and I want you to be part of that process because he's calling people to himself. Okay, so let's talk about Christian versus disciple. How many times do you think the word Christian is in the New Testament? Any guesses? Any guesses? Three. Who said it? So smart. So good. So um, only three times. But the word disciple, over 280 times. So there's the, the word Christian was kind of a newer thing, and it was actually a derogatory term when it first came out because they looked at these Christians and they're like, you're like a little Christ. You follow that guy. And so it, it turned out, it was kind of a derogatory thing at first, and then we've grabbed onto it and made it, we've redeemed it. But throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, the followers of Jesus were called disciples, not just the 12, but all those who followed him and chose to be, uh, to be in his kingdom. In fact, somebody once said, uh, I like this, the disciple is the most basic vehicle to the kingdom of God. So that's how you get into the kingdom. You are a disciple. There isn't another way. And so sometimes we mess that up. And, and I think it's important that we understand the word disciple, student, learner, uh, and, and that that is how we enter his kingdom and, and proclaim his kingdom. But let's talk about two theological words. And at Caneo, we don't usually hit theology deep, but um, we'll do a little theology 101 this time. And if you want to do theology deep, um, that happens a little bit more in community groups. Um, and, you know, we could, we'll, we'll be doing some more classes and et cetera over, the, over this coming year where we can go a little deeper. But uh, let's look at a couple of words. So justification and sanctification. So justification is you have peace with God through Jesus. So that's like a, a legal term. You are now justified. So that is you were accused of something, and then Jesus stepped in and said, Len's okay because I got him. And then the judge said, hey, Len's okay. You can go free. That's justification. Sanctification is an ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming a disciple. So justification, you became a disciple today. Awesome. Sanctification, you're a disciple for the rest of your life. And you're taking on more of the family resemblance because you're on the road with the Messiah. And he's teaching you, just like he taught them 2,000 years ago, how to live and how to die and how to sacrifice for others and how to grow and how to understand how he's created you special in him, the gifts he's given you to serve others. All of that stuff is part of sanctification. Um, But it's interesting that um, if we're satisfied with justification, then sometimes we don't pursue the second half the whole rest of our lives. And that's where a lot of that hypocrisy comes from because there's not an ongoing dialogue with the Lord, an ongoing willingness to say, hey, change me. Make me more like you because, man, this part of me stinks. 
and, and Lord, help me with this part because it needs, man, do I need some love over here, right? And that's the ongoing process of sanctification. Um, there's a Martin Luther quote that, that I thought was really cool. And, and isn't that a nice picture of, of Marty, too? But he said, there is, there is no justification without sanctification, no forgiveness without renewal of life, no real faith from which the fruit of new obedience do not grow. That's right. Because you can think, man, I'm saved. But then let's ask your loved ones, are they really saved? Like, is there any evidence going on in the, any fruit, any residual, you know, evidence of the Holy Spirit in this person's life? I mean, that's, that's key. And that, that's not to make us scared, because the enemy would love to say, see, you're not saved because you still sin. But Paul said, I do sin. And there's a solution for it, and that's Jesus. And so, so the, it's not, it's not the, that we are fearful that we're not saved. It's that we need to make sure that we're saved and say, am I? Ha, or did I just, you know, am, have I been running away from you, Jesus, or have I been running to you? And those are two completely different life patterns. Right on. Amen. Okay, so let me show you what I mean. So Matthew 4. And this is the scene that we watched from, uh, from The Chosen a few minutes ago, starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who he later called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Amen to that. Uh, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So I want you to notice three things in in these verses. The first one is this, come and follow me. So a disciple understands, hey, I've got this agenda. I'm fishing. I'm casting my nets. I'm doing my thing. Look, I got some fish. Here's Here's what I'm doing. And then Jesus comes and says, okay, I have a better agenda for you. Here's what I want you to do from now on. And a disciple goes, okay, I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do instead of the thing that was on my agenda. So it's a change of life direction. It's a change of life patterns. Now, could he still use me as a fisherman? Sure, if he says, yeah, I want you to do that. But with this guy's life, he said, "Uh uh-uh, you're going to fish for people now. So I want you to join, a disciple joins the master's agenda, the rabbi's agenda. The next one is this, I will make you. A disciple is willing to be changed. Because, and Peter, we're going to learn more about him next week. He's funny because he, he bucks the system. Like, and there are times when Jesus is trying to get something done and he is in his own way, right? I mean, you saw it when, when Jesus is calling Matthew and Peter's like, do you know who that guy is? And I think it's so funny how people talk to, you know, God, the son, as if he doesn't know, <laughs> right? And we do that in our own prayer life. We're like, God, don't you understand? And the Lord must just shake his head, smiling at Chris and saying like, yeah, I do know what's going on. But, but we'll learn from Peter. And I think some of you who are a little more spontaneous and impetuous and you know, have your foot in your mouth, you will enjoy studying Peter. So, okay. So the second thing is we are willing, a disciple, a disciple is willing to let the Lord work on us and change us. The last one is fishers of men. So 
a disciple joins the mission of Jesus. So if you say, I'm a Christian, but I have nothing to do with the mission of Jesus, I would say, hmm, something needs to shift this year. 2023 is your year where it's not about you and your stuff. And you go, Jesus, how can I join you in what you're doing? Uh, I, I was talking with a friend this last week about, um, and it was a leadership conversation about um, how sometimes in churches we create programs. We create momentum. We create excitement about something and how exhausting that is. And so Wayne Cordero is a pastor in Hawaii, and he's, he's awesome, just a loving and powerful dude. And, and so he, he shares this surfing metaphor, and he says sometimes as leaders, as Christians, as pastors, we try to get on our surfboard and create our own wave, which is exhausting and frustrating and stupid, right? And then he says what we've learned in Hawaii is you wait for the wave that God has already created, and then you jump on it, and you go along with what he's doing. You don't fight what he's doing, because you could fight it and not enjoy it, or you can see it coming and say, oh, Lord, look, look what you're doing. I want to be part of what you're doing. He's rescuing people in your neighborhood. Yesterday, I did a, I did a memorial service um, here in Thousand Oaks for a, a fairly young man who passed away in his 40s. And, um, and it was heavy, and it was meaningful, and a lot of his friends from AA were there, and it was just this magic time together. Um, but it was interesting. I felt like God was doing something, because I wasn't supposed to do the service. And then the pastor got COVID, and then they called me, and they're like, hey, can you do the service? And I'm like, yeah, why not? So I ended up going there. And I had four or five conversations after the service that were exactly what the Lord was doing. It's almost like it wasn't even about the service. It was like the funeral was an excuse. To, I mean, it was great. But it, it was an excuse to go talk to this lady about what's going on with her grandkids and this lady whose husband's dying of cancer and, and these other things that the Lord was doing. And, and, but I had to have eyes to be like, Lord, what are you doing? Because those were distractions, right? I'm supposed to be doing this. And then the Lord just kept bringing people to talk to. And so part of this whole, this whole thing of being a disciple is like, Lord, who are you bringing around and how am I joining what you're doing in their lives? Yeah, right and that takes a little bit of time, a little intentionality. Sometimes I think the enemy wants us to be so busy, so focused on our own junk that we don't see the opportunities around us. Yeah, right on. And, and that's a change that I feel like the Lord wants to invite all of us into for 23 is like, Lord, give me eyes to see the wave that you're creating and, and help me to paddle into that and, and enjoy the ride. Because the Lord's going to do much more that way than you could ever create on your own. Right? Okay. Good stuff. So, um, so a disciple is someone who has been with Jesus and said yes to following him rather than running the other direction. And it's not someone who believes that certain things are true, but it doesn't change their life. Think about that. For, let, just sit on that for a minute. So some people would say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but it has not changed their life. Some people would say, I believe that God created, I believe that this happened, I believe the Bible's true, but it has not changed them. A disciple is someone who is saying, yes, Lord, change me rather than fighting tooth and nail to stay who we are. 
So um, here's another thought I had this week, kind of a deep, a deep thought for me. Maybe you'll think it's very shallow. That happens sometimes. But, but I was thinking, we need to make sure our faith isn't selfish. And here's what I mean. Sometimes we will say, Jesus is on my team. I got him. Like, he, he's got my back. And I hear that, and I see that, but I kind of picture the meme of, like, buddy Jesus. Right? Like, hey, you know, the cool surfer Jesus. Um, but it's more important for me to be on his team. Yes, right on. For me to be joining him in his mission. For me to say what you want, Jesus, is more important than anything that I could think or imagine. Because I want to be on your team. Amen. Does that make sense? And, and I'm not even, I'm not making some big statement about choosing teams. I'm just saying I want Jesus to know me more than I need to know him. I need to be an open book and say, like, Lord, have your way. And so, so I want to make sure that, that he knows that I am ready to listen, and I'm ready to grow, and I'm ready to go where he wants to go. Amen. And that's a disciple. Okay, so let's, let's finish up with this. And I want to have the band come up as I read these verses. So look at 2 Peter 1. And the whole thing, man, 2 Peter 1 is beautiful. Um, we don't have time to go after all of it, but read it later. But 2 Peter 1.10 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Have you ever thought about, like, how do I become tougher? How do I become more resilient? How do I not fall down? How do I not blow it? This is, this is interesting. And then he says, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do you confirm your calling? I mean, he says, make sure you do this. Make sure you know that you are called by the Lord. Make sure that you've confirmed it. And, and you've had this conversation with the Lord, like, you've called me and I've said yes, right? I mean, that's basically what he's saying. Make sure that, and it's not like make sure that you have said this sentence. Make sure that you have believed these three bullet points. He's saying make sure that the Lord knows you and that you know him. Make sure that he knows the trajectory of your life is I want to be with you and I want to become more like you and I want you to use my life. That's a disciple. And, and that is different than what some of us grew up with. So, so two questions. Have you said yes to the call of Jesus in your life? And is your life about his mission or is it about yours? And I mean, there are some people that I know in my life that have answered the first one. Yes, I have said yes. I am following him. But if I look at their life, they're much more about the dream house or the trips or the grandkids or the... Those are not bad things. Those are fabulous things. But they pale in comparison with you know who. And they pale in comparison with our lives being used for his glory. So take a dream trip, build a dream house, do whatever, but make sure that he's your primary dream and that all that stuff just kind of falls away if he says, like, hey, put that on the back burner right, right now. I want you to do this. And make sure that you're listening to him. So I just want to pray through those two things about if you have said yes to him leading your life, that's, that's where we got to start. So for those of us who are in the room and um, those of us who are online or watching this later, just spend a minute 
and just just picture the Lord standing there and, and just pray with me and just say, um, just say this in, in your heart quietly. Lord, thank you for calling me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for reaching out to me. And, and Lord, um, I believe in you. I trust you. Help me to follow you every minute of every day. Help me to be just so enamored with who you are that all the, the things of earth just grow strangely dim. They just pale in comparison with you. And, and, and maybe if you've never said yes to him before, but you know he's calling you, just do it today. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for living for me. And I ask that you would live in me from this day forward, that you would give me your Holy Spirit so I would know how to live. Lord, chase out the darkness and fill it with your light. If that's you, just pray that prayer and just get it right and go into 2023 right with him. And now let's pray about the second thing. Are you about your mission or his mission? And if you look back at 2022 and 2021, was it all about him or was it all about you? And I, I believe we don't have a lot of, of years left on this planet. So Lord, help us to have a sense of urgency that we would join you in your mission to love and reach and rescue people who have no hope. And Lord, I ask that you would use our lives. And Lord, we, forgive us for putting our own stuff in front of you. Forgive us for getting busy with our little objectives and, and throwing nets out of a boat, just like Peter and Andrew. Nothing wrong with that, unless you're being called by the master to do something different. So Lord, I ask that you would show us your purpose in our lives this year. And in advance, we say, yes, use me, Lord. Use me, use me. Use all of us, Lord. Use our lives for your glory and to bring hope to hopeless people. Please direct us to them, Lord. Help us to ride that wave of what you're doing. And if that's your prayer, just say, thank you, Lord, and amen. Amen. So the last thing that I wanted to mention is this, and then we're going to sing another song. The Lord calls you to be with him. And then he sends you and goes with you to take his truth to others, right? Now, he's made you different from the person next to you. So part of this year is figuring out what's my unique calling? What's my unique contribution? What are the spiritual gifts God's given me? And, and sometimes I'll ask somebody, what are your spiritual gifts? And they give me weird answers that aren't even spiritual gifts at all. And these are people who have been Christians for a while. And so I just want to challenge you to grow in that area and say, Lord, who have you created me to be and how do you want to use my life particularly? And just start that conversation with him. And if we can be helpful to you, um, just reach out to info at caneochurch.com or just grab me or grab anybody after the service. We'd love to help you figure out how has he programmed you? How has he wired you? And how does he want to use that? I think it's interesting that he grabbed Peter and he's like, you know how you catch fish? You're going to use some of those same tactics over here, but you're going to fish for men and women. And so he, he, didn't, he didn't demolish who Peter was. He took Peter's personality and his quirks and all of his idiosyncrasies and, and gifts and he shaped them. And he made this, this pretty amazing guy that took the gospel all over the planet. Okay? 
So lean into what the Lord uh, wants to say to you just in that moment also. And through this year, say, Lord, develop my gifts because they're yours. Amen? So how about if we stand up, we're going to sing one more song.